Just before I begin, I want to make a personal note. Tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of when I came and preached my candidating sermon and you voted to receive me as your pastor. And that, I think, was a step of faith for both of us. For you to receive a young, somewhat inexperienced pastor at the time I'd only been ordained four years. I don't know if they told you that or not. <laughs> and for Christina and me to, to leave a secure church that we loved to go to the unknown. But I just want to say on this occasion that I am very glad that we together took that step of faith. In the last year, I have grown to love you a lot, both as individuals, as I've been able to get to know you, and as a congregation. And I have deep respect for this congregation and am very impressed with you individually and as a whole. And I think from time to time, it is important for a pastor to let his congregation know how he feels about them. And so on this occasion, I just want to say, I love you and I am very glad to be here. And now I have to preach the stewardship sermon. <laughs> and no, that wasn't sort of trying to butter you up. It's just how the timing worked out. And pray with me, please. Jesus, all blessings do come from you. Lord, we ask that you would open your word and help us to know how to use the things that you have given us well and how to use them for you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, I was having coffee with a man from my church in California, and he asked me what I would be preaching about on that particular week. And when I told him I was going to preach on money, his face just fell. And he said, money? Well, now you're meddling. And maybe that's how some of you felt this morning when you came in and heard the scripture from Malachi read, and you thought, oh no, Malachi 3. Must be Stewardship Sunday. Why didn't I sleep in? Maybe that's how you felt through the whole service. One of our choir members said, you know, it's hard for them to clap during that anthem because it's hard to clap when you're hanging on to your wallet. So (laughs) I think money is an uncomfortable subject for a lot of reasons. Some of us have a fair amount of it. And a sermon like this can sometimes produce feelings of guilt. Or we fear losing what we have. And others of us, we don't have much money and we're struggling just to make ends meet. And I think especially here on the east side where everybody seems to drive a really nice car and stores sell $300 bottles of olive oil. And, I mean, if all you're buying is Crisco, it's easy to feel left out. So for all of those reasons, I think money is a very sensitive subject. And I think a lot of times we want to say to God what that man said to me. Money? Well, God, now you're just a meddling. You just keep out of that, God. You go mind your business and I'll mind mine. The problem, though, is that God has an awful lot to say about money throughout Scripture. In fact, the Bible talks as much, if not more, about money than almost any other subject, including sex. And I've, I've enlisted some of those scriptures in the bulletin this week. To God, money is a very spiritual issue. Because how we respond to money 
says a lot about what we value and who we trust and who our God is. Because of all the false gods we serve, money is the most seductive. Because it can get for us almost anything we want. You've heard it said that money can't buy happiness. That may be true, but you sure can rent it. And I think that's why Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Not because rich people are bad or unfit for heaven. We'd all be unfit for heaven if it weren't for Jesus. But because if you're rich, it's harder to see your need for God. All that rented happiness just gets in the way. And the more we have, the more we begin to trust our money and not God and lose our relationship with him. And so, like all false gods, money inevitably disappoints us. In fact, several years ago, UCLA released a study showing that rich people actually weren't very happy because the more they, their income rose, the more their desire for possessions rose. And their money just started making them miserable, and so their money ended up being a curse. And I know some of you right now are saying, may God smite me with such a curse. Please, smite me, Lord. Money disappoints. Several years ago, when we were still living in California, the lottery there got up to $100 million, and Christina and I had the discussion. You know the one. You've all had it, right? What would we do with $100 million? Well, we'd give it all to charity, of course. But first... We thought, well, we really should buy a house in California where we lived, which would have cost $100 million. <laughs> And then because I love Seattle, we thought we really should get a house in Seattle, too. But, you know, what's great about Seattle is the lake and Mount Rainier. So what we really need is a house on the lake with a view of Mount Rainier. And if, if I had that, I'd be so happy, so relaxed. I could write such great sermons. So really, it was just for the good of the church and the glory of God, you know. It wasn't about me. Well... Pretty soon, we'd spent all the money, and within three, min three minutes, we had become repulsive people, and we hadn't even bought a ticket. <laughs> and I said to Christina, with this attitude, God's never going to give us $100 million. You see, everybody says they need just one thing. But what they really mean is they need just one thing more. And as a result, money always disappoints. It makes a great servant, but a lousy master. It's not that money is bad. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that money is bad. It's just a tool. But if we love it, if it controls us, if we pursue it more than God, if we feel jealous that someone has it and we don't, if we worry about it, if we're anxious about it, then it controls us and it becomes a prison and we are trapped. And because our God loves us so much, he provides us a way out of that prison. He invites us to do two things. And the first is this, to live in the security that if we seek God first, he will provide everything we need. Maybe not everything we want, but everything that we need. Jesus says, don't worry about money. Look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet God feeds them. Aren't you more important than a bird? Won't God take care of you? In other words, look, all around you is an economy of abundance. God provides generously for what you need if you seek him first. You heard Susan talk about how God took care of her even through unemployment and divorce. I I've worked with dozens of people who have felt called to go on the mission field. 
But they, 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 they've worried about where the money was going to come from. And I'd always say, don't worry. If God is calling you to this, he will provide. I have never been proven wrong yet. Sometimes they're able to raise money they didn't think they could raise. Sometimes they get a friend has a windfall and gives that money to them. I've even seen other missionaries raise more money than they needed and give it to the other missionary. God provides. That's part of the promise we read this morning. God says, put me first with your time, your lives, your money, and I will take care of you. Now, you might ask, well, if that's true, Scott, then what about those people that God doesn't seem to be taking care of? What about the unemployed? What about poor people? What about them? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. (laughs) Brings me to my second point. If our first response to money is to live in the security that God provides, that enables us to do the second thing that God invites us to do. Give it away. Give it away. Because sometimes one of the ways that God wants to provide for others is through us. God wants to use us to meet the needs of others, their physical needs and their spiritual needs. Because that that builds bridges between people. And that's what God loves to do, bring people together. That's reconciliation. That's what he does. That's what the cross is about. And part of the way that happens is, is we provide for each other out of the resources that God has given us. And one of the things I just love about you is that you get this. This is a generous congregation. The buildings we're sitting in are proof of that. I know there are people in this congregation who have, who have funded whole mission trips, inner city projects that are changing people's lives, music ministries that help people hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This is a generous congregation that's discovering the joy of giving. And that's really kind of my point in this sermon. This is about joy. Susan Ray didn't look too unhappy to me. Did she look unhappy to you? She looked pretty happy to me. This is about joy. God doesn't ask us to give so that we can be poor and miserable and oppressed. No. He invites us to do that, to give. So that we can be free from all the ways that money controls us and how it can control us in this culture. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And that means that if at least some of our treasure is invested in the things of God, then our heart will also be invested in the things of God. And that's good for us. And there are a lot of ways we can do this. There are all kinds of Christian organizations that are building the kingdom of God. Young Life, Compassion International, World Vision. And those are great organizations. And Christina and I give to most of them. But, but, first we give 10% of everything we earn to this church. Because you see, the primary place God asks us to invest our money is in the Christian community that we're a part of. That's what this morning's scripture means when it says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Tithe, the word tithe means a tenth of what you have. And the storehouse was the temple storehouse, meant to provide the needs of the temple, which was the worshiping community that those people were a part of. Now, if you're just visiting this morning, if you're just a visitor here, this this part of the message is not meant for you, so you can do whatever you want. You can check out, you can read a book, or you can just listen along. This, This isn't for you. But if you are a regular attender here, this point is for you. We're talking this fall about what the church is supposed to be. 
And one of the things the church is supposed to be is a community of people that link arms together and together build the kingdom of God in community. And we do that by investing our time, our talent, our treasure in the community of which we're a part. And again, the reason God asks us to do this is to free us from the ways that money controls us. One of the things I discovered was that if I just wrote my check to my pet projects, that was still really about my control. That was about me still kind of hanging on to my money and trying to control it, which meant that my money was still hanging on to me and that I wasn't really letting it go into God's hands. And it wasn't until I did that that I began to get free of the ways that money controls me. So Christina and I give 10% to the church and then we support those other organizations. Now, I can tell by, by your faces that some of you don't agree with me. That's fine. That's what, that's what sermons are for. And it'll make for great lunchtime conversations. So that'll be good. But, you know, my defense is it's, it's all throughout scripture and read the, the passages I give you. It's in the book. Don't blame me. I'm just, I'm just the messenger here. But also, I think as you saw last week in the testimony, this church does a very good job at ensuring that our resources go to build the kingdom of God. Your elders work very hard. They are very conscientious to make sure that that's where the resources go. And we are doing that. We are helping poor people in Guatemala have homes, but more than that, a means to earn a living. Through KidReach and Eastside Academy, we're helping children right here get a fighting chance in our culture and get a hands-on lesson how much God loves them because of the ways that God has loved them through us. We've done those things and so much more. And there's so much more that we can continue to do. We have to continue just to meet the basic costs of running this church. Did you know that attendance is up 20% since January? That's great, but with that comes some increase in costs. In addition, your elders have voted to move some of the debt service into the operating budget so that if we have to do any more capital campaigns, those can be just to build buildings, not pay off debt service. Because to do a capital campaign to pay off debt service, that's a boring capital campaign. We want fun capital campaigns <laughs> if we have to have them. But beyond that, there's all kinds of ways that we can reach out to others as we approach our Jubilee year. For instance, we could provide rides for senior citizens who can't get to church or other appointments that they need to get to. We could start an after-school center here for kids who don't have any other place to go. They could come here, get tutoring, get cared for, learn that Jesus loves them. We could help more villages in Cambodia or Guatemala get out of poverty. We could do something outrageous like buy a warehouse and turn it into a full-service center for the needy on the east side, where they could come and get legal, dental, medical help, tutoring, job placement, you name it. We could buy an apartment building and turn it into a low-income housing. The sky is the limit. This church is a rocket sitting on a launch pad just ready to take off. But a rocket needs one thing to go. Fuel. And that's what we provide with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Now, I, I do want to say that I know that some of you may be struggling financially. If that's the case, so please don't let this sermon make you feel guilty or, or, or onerous. We understand that. And, and maybe for some of you, your gift will come in the, in the way of time or of talent for a while. And also, please, for all of us, take advantage of a new ministry we have called Common Sense, 
which will provide some counseling to help people figure out how to get out of debt and use their money more effectively. But, but for all of us, don't, don't miss the, the main point that I'm trying to get here, get across here. And, and for those of you who are visiting and maybe checked out, now's your time to sort of enter back in. Because this one's for everyone. The main point is this. God does not demand that we give. He invites us to. Because when we do, we get two things. The first thing we get is freedom. Freedom from all the ways that money controls us. Ask anybody who ties, and they will tell you one of the greatest blessings they've received is it has helped them get free of the worry and the anxiety that money causes and how we do worry about it. And tithing is a means to provide freedom from that because we learn that God provides. And the other thing we get is joy. The joy of seeing our resources do some really cool stuff for God. When Christina and I were first married, and I need to say I have her permission to tell this story, I wanted to give 10% of our income to the church, and she didn't want to. I was a student at the time, which meant that most of our money was hers anyway. Some was mine. I had a stipend. Uh, and, but we didn't have a lot of money. Times were tough, and she didn't want to do that. And I said, I think if we put God first and give 10% to the church, he will take care of us. In fact, I said, I think we will end up with more money at the end of the year than we had to start with. And she said, I can see why you're an English major. That's bad math. <laughs> so I compromised. I said, how about 5%? So we did that, and I said, if we don't have more money at the end of the year, we can just stop this whole thing. So we did that. We gave 5%. That year, we both got unexpected raises. And being the humble, loving husband that I am, I said, see, I told you so. She said, coincidence. I said, double or nothing. She said, you're on. We went to 10% that year. That year, she got a raise, and I got a part-time job in the church, and we ended up with more money than we started with because you can't outgive God. No way, no how. And finally, I heard from her the words I longed to hear. <laughs> Scott, you were right. <laughs> but then I had a sinful thought. If 10% yielded that, what if we gave even more? Now, the point of this is not that God has a better rate of return than the stock market, although he does. The point is that when we seek him first, he provides and we find freedom and joy. In fact, now one of Christina's favorite parts of church is when she gets to drop that check in the offering plate. I think she likes it more than the sermons. And if it, if it looks like the plate is going to pass her by, she gets anxious and she wants to make sure that the check gets in there because she has discovered the joy of seeing God provide for us and the joy of seeing our money do God's work in the world. Now, I need to say, maybe the blessing that you receive won't be financial. I, I can't promise that. It might be. But maybe the blessing you receive will be you discover the joy of seeing your money build God's kingdom. Or maybe for once you get free of the terrible anxiety and worry that comes with financial issues. Or maybe you'll just be more certain than ever that God really, really does exist because you took a step of faith and you saw God come through for you. One way or the other, if you do this, you'll be blessed because God always provides. 
And the best evidence we have of this is Jesus Christ. If God was so generous as to give us His Son to die for us, to reconcile us to Him, then won't He provide for all our other needs? It comes down to two things. Fear or trust. Do we trust God? Do we trust that the God that we say is big enough to save our souls is also big enough to provide for us? There's only one way to find out. It's like Peter getting out of the boat, walking on water. There's only one way to find out. Test him on this. Put him to the test. This is the only place in Scripture he says that we can do this. Test him. Go home. Talk this over with whoever you need to talk it over with. A friend, your spouse. And then let me give you the same challenge I gave my wife years ago. Double or nothing. If you haven't arrived at a tithe yet, double whatever you're giving up to 10%. Make it the first check you write every month. Your lifestyle will just adjust around it. Double or nothing, double or nothing, and see. Just see. If God does not open up the windows of heaven and pour on you such a blessing that you will not be able to contain it. Jesus, thank you for all the blessings you do give us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust that you do provide. Help us to be channels of your blessings, not reservoirs, so that we can be free of the ways that money controls us, so that it can become our servant and not our master, and so that we as a community together can lift high your cross until all the world knows that you are Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.